Yes. Um, hi, everyone, and welcome to the fifth episode of Broken English Podcast. My name is Mila Panic, and today my guest is... Hi, my name is Ibtisam Tesneem Zaman, which means smiling river in paradise time. And she's exactly like her name. <laughs> um, so at the moment, I'm in New York and I decided to record a couple of episodes here because I really find uh, this uh, interesting context. And uh, I had luck to meet interesting people who could reflect on a, a topic of language. And uh, I'm going to, again, read out the biography of Ibtisam and uh, um, introduce her. So Ibtizan Tsanim, Tsanam is a black lesbian American multidisciplinary intersectional feminist and self-taught artist. Her art practice consists of creative writing, spoken word, poetry, performance, narrative painting of BIPOC uh, people and community art projects. Her work draws inspiration from Persian Islamic geometric art, Indian classical art, surrealism and magical realism. Originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Ibtizam moved at age six to England, followed by the United Arab Emirates. Her mother made the decision shortly after 9-11 to escape the violence that Muslims and uh, by, by BIPOC are still facing today. By 13, uh, she would live between uh, United Arab Emirates and India over the next nine years. Her work has been exhibited nationally with New York Health and Hospital Arts and Medicine Program in collaboration with Residency Unlimited, funded by Laurie M. Tisch Illumination, Illumination Fund. Um, she has exhibited in group and do exhibition and in, uh, exhibitions and uh, is currently completing... Uh, did I... How do you spell this? V-O-M residency? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, VOM. VOM residency through Residency Unlimited as well. She has also performed her poetry for um, Rukus? Ruckus. Ruckus, okay. <laughs> in New York. Um, and internationally, Ibtisam has performed in theater productions of uh, in the United Arab Emirates, and her work has featured in the Gender Bender exhibition by the Sandbox Collective and the Goethe Institute in uh, Bangalore, India. Uh, and there she debuted her first narrative portrait, Al-Alvra, Al the intimate part. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's difficult. Al-Aura, the intimate. So Al-Aura, and then I translate it directly after the intimate parts. Okay. Um, she moved back to the States after receiving her Bachelor's of Arts with a triple major in soci sociology, economy, and history from uh, Bangalore University in India. She now lives in New York, where she works as a full-time artist, writer, and linguist interpreter. Ibtisan Zanam is starting a new body of work in her studio on Governor's Island this May. So welcome to this episode, and I'm so happy that you accepted the invitation. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you. I was um, excited as soon as I got the email. <laughs> Honestly. Yes. Yeah, so when uh, we first met to talk about the topics and uh, how language relates to you as a, as a person and through your life and through your work, 
it really uh, became even more interesting to me uh, than just reading your, through your biography. And uh, so we can start from there. Um, firstly, like just naming the, the languages you speak. Uh, so you have two mother tongues, mm -hmm. which is English and Arabic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you also speak French. Yes. And as we heard in your in your biography, you lived in really different parts of the world. So how this shaped your ways of thinking and with this also ways of creating? You know, I've actually been thinking a lot more about um, how language has shaped and formed uh, my brain <laughs> and my thoughts since the last time we met. Like, I think about it a lot on and off anyway, but um, I've been thinking about it a lot more. And it's kind of like what you said, you read my bio, but it doesn't really give uh, a kind of insight into how much it impacts, it impact my daily living. Um, because language has been, has always been a, like a very personal thing to me. Um, but that's how we communicate with all of our loved ones, how we create relationships with new loved ones. Uh, and so moving like moving through language, I think that it's interesting when you, the concept, the, the, the phrase mother tongue, um, basically is the, is the languages my mother spoke to me and she spoke to me both in English and in Arabic, but usually it's like, it's the mother, it's the language your mother speaks to you in, but it's also the language your people speak to you in. And so I was kind of, because my mother was adopted into Arab culture and community, I was also adopted into Arab culture and community. How do you mean adopted? Like, <laughs> like maybe she, you can reflect on that. Yeah, so she converted to Islam when she was 14, which is very, very young. Um, her family was um, Catholic. <laughs> and she... Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Her family was Catholic, but her mother herself was agnostic. And so it was very interesting for her to then find a kind of faith that kind of reflected her own personal values. Uh, and she said she found that in Islam and she fell in love with it. And so after some time, she converted and then that's how she started learning Arabic was through the religion, which is how a lot of people do it. And so all of these Arabs and Muslim different Arab communities of Muslims like took her into the fold because she had converted and then taught her Arabic and she learned Arabic and she um, then passed it on to us like it was her own language and I think that's there's something really special about that I so I have I'm the third eldest in nine children yes big <laughs> family um, so I have an older brother I have a twin and then I have six more siblings, six? It's a big family when you lose count. Of the <laughs> Sorry, I'm like, wait, is that right? But yes, yes, six more. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, it's interesting then to, like, the fact that I am the one who has taken Arabic so to my heart, I guess, in a way. Yeah, that's very interesting. And... Uh, Especially like what comes after that, um, you know, that your mother decided that after 9-11 that you move away from United States. And, mm. you know, because we know about 
uh, hate towards uh, Muslims and people of color and all sorts of racism that is happening here. And for me, it's also very hard to even comprehend the, um, all these layers being here mm. in United States, even though if it's just for short time, I sometimes I sometimes feel I um, even hard to speak or address or even just to be curious about all the problems that is happening mm. here mm. Um, in Europe. There is certainly same type of problems, but here it's everything sort of, I feel, on steroids and like it's much more mm. uh, voiced in within the community. And so, yeah, when you moved out and lived in, uh, so you studied in India in English language. Mm -hmm. uh, for how long were you there? Uh, so from when I was 13, from the time I was 13 until I was like, I want to say... 22, 23, I was moving back and forth between India and the UAE. So I spent like a year of middle school in India, and then the last year of high school in India. And then in between, I was in UAE, then back in India, then in UAE, then back in India. So the last time I was in India, I was finishing my bachelor's degree. And so India actually has a really, since we're talking about language, India has like a really interesting way of like approaching education. They'll teach you in three different languages. <laughs> So like as in the books come in three different languages. So you have the book in English, then you have the book in Hindi. And then there are, I think, so there are 29 states and each state has like a local language or a set of local languages. There's so many. I think there's over 130 different dialects within those 70 <laughs> languages themselves. And so that end up being their own kind of language. Right. If you do, if you're not familiar with it, then you can't really hear the difference. So it'll come in English, it'll come in Hindi, and then it'll come in the local mm -hmm. or state language. Yeah. Uh, so like, but you mean the, the same, uh, um, same content? The just same into... content. In different, so in you needed to carry languages. three different yeah. books, or no, no, no. I just, <laughs> I just needed the English. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that would have been interesting. Um, yeah, I was thinking, I mean, like something similar, uh, but of course, like different uh, political background and reasons. Like in Bosnia, it's, mm. you know, we have three languages, two alphabets. And uh, in the city where, but it's essentially, let's say, same language. But uh, after the 90s, of course, because of, uh, um, you know, trying to identify three different nationalities and language is one essential part of, of doing that. Uh, in the schools and in the whole country, um, we have now uh, Serbian language, Croatian language and Bosnian language. And of course, across almost whole ex-Yugoslavia, we can understand each other. But when I was in the school, um, when, you know, it, it was cool with everyone inside like doesn't matter which nationality you identify with uh we when it's a mother tongue i'm a born as a bosnian serb so i would go to the class to learn serbian and my classmates for these 45 minutes would go to learn croatian or bosnian it it was um yeah the we would do literature so we would also learn the same books but just in three different classrooms Wow. And, and not together. Because, not together. Yeah. So everything else was together, just these 45 minutes, we split. Wow. And that was um, when, you know, it's 
it's uh, also a motive for many jokes uh, mm. in that region and uh, like all this absurdity that is happening and like you know translation of how much money is going for translating to the something that everyone can understand mm. but you know you need to uh, respect each of these languages well it's it's some kind of like really uh, weird situation that emerged after 90s uh, there so it remind me on this like having three different books but this is also three different languages that you yeah. were speaking about like so yeah. it has I guess reason for it and um now when you were speaking and like moving away after I'm wondering how did uh, did the whole family moved away like all nine of you with mother and father yeah. or and then after this like did you have someone in United Arab Emirates to welcome you or it was just a, a following, uh, yeah, like safe place to mm. be mm. in and to feel welcome? Mm. Or So it was sort of of refugee, I mm. imagine. Mm. Mm. So we were living as a black Muslim family in the States. So this is a very important fact because you're not only receiving uh, mistreatment, uh, prejudice and bias of racism because you're black, you're also receiving it because you're Muslim and because of Islamophobia. That was then, you know, like Islamophobia was bad before 9-11, but post 9-11 it was much, much worse. And so um, that was what propelled us to move a lot sooner than, as I quote my mother, we would have. Um, so she had a lot of friends who were from the Gulf, and she had actually lived in Qatar uh, before I was born for about a year with my younger brother. Um, so he's moved, he's actually moved like a lot more, well, maybe not a lot more, but the same degree that I have. Um, we weren't all nine. <laughs> then I left the Tulsa, Oklahoma when I was six, so not everybody was born yet. Um, it's also important for me to say that this was my biological mother and my biological father um, who divorced when I was 12. And so they only had five children together. So from my mother's side, I'm only, I'm the third eldest in five. Um, and then all together with my father's children, we make up nine together. Which is which gets very complicated because then he he married a Moroccan wife and then we can get into that later, but um basically, uh, she had a lot of friends who took us in in the beginning, when we got to the UAE and we actually got to the UAE without my biological father and so we kind of struggled and she was very much like a single parent struggling, with mm -hmm. four children at the time, um just to like you know. We're waiting for him to send money so that we can go out and buy groceries. Um, she made a lot of my clothes. I didn't know that we were kind of poor. I never knew that we were kind of poor when we first got to the UAE. I never felt it, which is actually a blessing. So we were never hungry. But I think my mom really struggled in hindsight, looking back at her stress. Uh, there's a funny story where my brother and I told her, just... Mama, you need money? We have a great idea. Just go to the machine, the ATM, and get some out. 
<laughs> we were, well, it's a we, very straightforward plan. <laughs> yeah, and we thought, and we were, so, you know, and she talks about it, and she says, and you guys were so sweet because you really had so much like conviction and belief, and that that was the the way to go about doing. Things. Yeah, I mean, ATM is giving money, so yeah. just get some money. Yeah, get some, seems some money. for the child's brain very. Yeah, but she simplified. had she had a lot of really kind. Friends, something that is not known about Arabs, mm. I don't think, because of the really um, evil kind of stereotypes that have been built up around them. Yeah, the generosity it's and the generosity. Uh, hospitality that yeah. it's like sometimes even overwhelming for communities or like cultures that actually do not have such. Yeah, I, I have a couple of friends that uh, just the amount of uh, time they say thank you. <laughs> for me was like okay i get it you don't i felt even over but it's just you know you don't they you know these friends they don't notice this because yeah. it's just part of them and the way yeah. of speaking yeah, yeah the kindness itself is cultural um and the, yeah and i think because we like this i think my mother experienced it before she was ever fluent in arabic and i think that propelled her to be come fluent like seeing the kind of kindness and compassion that a culture can have inbuilt into it woven into it sewn into it uh, and then pass those kinds of values on to her children um and then yeah but if when you speak it i think you can really understand how the kindness that is inbuilt in a language and then that forms the kind of i think this is something that's really wonderful about learning other languages is you can kind of see how people think how passionate they are, how, um, what, the way they carry their love or their sorrow or their anger. You can see that when you learn mm. expressions of a different language. Um, I want to also ask, um, because I find super beautiful and uh, have similar experience of this, uh, or at, at least interest in this uh, knowledge that it's passed through generation to another mm. generation. Mm. And uh, it's already quite clear your mother trying to implement uh, through the language to pass to her children if they have interest to learn. But you, I know that you also mentioned about your grandmother having a certain role um, and your mother uh, converted to Islam when she was 14. Mm. So I guess there was certain support or maybe even encouragement from your, I don't know, is it from a mother's side, the grandmother you were mentioning last time when we met? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, how was this um, connecting through the, you know, family tree and mm. in terms of, yeah, passing knowledge through language? Passing knowledge through language and passing the language down itself. Um, so my grandmother grew up in a German-American family. So her mother was originally German. Uh, and I should say that they're, they're white. Um, my mom's family is mostly white. <laughs> and so she was German-American. Um, and she didn't... Like she spoke, her mother spoke a little bit of German to her growing up. This is my great-grandmother. Spoke German to my grandmother when she was growing up. But then... Um, she forgot it. They didn't really speak it at home. They all learned English. They all went to school, etc. But when my grandmother was in her early 20s, she actually left 
and went to Germany and like kind of backpacked around Europe. And she became a kind of like governess or nanny. And she learned, she learned German fluently. And then that's where she met my mom's biological father. And then my mom was born on a U.S. military base. So there's also, so there's a thing of um, having language woven into our family, but also like education. So my grandmother was teaching, at the time she was teaching uh, the U.S. soldiers how to read. Um, so it's like she had developed a whole, she created an entire program, an educational uh, linguistic program to teach them how to read so that they could read um, their weapons and, and learn how to um basically maneuver a gun and not hurt themselves in the process, oh. Be, which is why they implemented the program in the first place. A lot of soldiers got hurt or killed in not knowing how to set up their weapons. Oh. And so um, my mother was born on the, on the U.S. military in, um, oh, what was the place called? Small town in Germany. <laughs> I can't remember what it was called. Um, maybe I'll write it to you later when I remember. And she, so her first language is actually German. Mm. It wasn't English. And, um, and my grandmother spoke German so fluently and she looked like she was German because she was part German that finally when she was going back to the States, she would say things like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going back home. And they were like, where? <laughs> and she's like, America. She's like, no, no, but you're German. <laughs> And so it's so this also the idea of passing because you speak a language fluently was also passed on to mm -hmm. me and learning how to speak Arabic fluently um, and being taught how to speak Arabic fluently because I was just raised with it. I never it was a language I learned with English. Um, you mentioned that um, your grandma was um, making you read out loud <laughs> as one of the strategies, <laughs> or, if yes. I remember. Yes. So um, when growing up, my mother taught us to read by the time we were like, she, I think she started when we were three and we were all reading by the time we were four. Language was really important to my family. Education was really important to my mother and my grandmother. Um, <laughs> I like to call them my bougie teachers. <laughs> I love them. And I think my love for reading comes from, um, from them. So my grandmother used to... Like we would have reading time. So our time together was mostly uh, invested in reading and like parks. But for in the, the forefront of my mind, it was reading. And so she would, as I got older, I noticed that she started to like trick me into reading more or getting me to read more. She probably wasn't trying to trick me, but, you know, trick me into reading more. So I would say, okay. Now it's your turn to read this page and she'd be like, yeah, yeah, you read one more and then I'll read. Mm. And then slowly the two pages that I was reading turned into three, turned mm. into four, turned into five until finally I was reading the entire book by myself to her. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, definitely not the way I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not implemented that kind of strategy. Uh, but yeah, it's nice to hear and this way of like committing to your grandchildren, to your children. Mm -hmm. And I also have wish uh, when I have a kids. Uh, yes, I do want to have kids <laughs> for my listeners um, to um, yeah try to pass as many languages I can 
or I'm able to. Um, so yeah, but let's go now to your work, which I found very interesting, not just from artistic point of view, but also the community work you do. Mm. And um, I know um, in some of the episodes, we already um, reflected on the poetry, writing the poetry and translation of it. And we mentioned that, you know, we came somehow came to the conclusion that it's art for itself to translate something. Um, and you dealing with two languages that which I believe in concept or are sort of different, no English and Arabic, and you write in both and translate from one to another as well. We're gonna also read one of your poems, but let's first uh, say a couple of things about um, your methodology of doing so and how do you um, when it's not your own poem to translate and how is when you write the the poem as well mm -hmm. oh, wow. so I think it's important to first say that I integrate I have integrated and I think a lot about integrating different languages into my visual art as well as uh, my poetry um, I think this is important because I think text has been such a big part of my life text in general writing in general um, I love prose I love poetry I love it in Arabic I love it in English I, I and you can see uh, I think you can see that in my in some of my visual paintings because I take so much time to take a paintbrush and write things as in to paint them to kind of cement them and create a permanence with them a different kind of permanence than a book so it's a painting but it was it's still written um and i i love doing it in arabic and english because sometimes i like the idea of something being of some information being accessible but also the fact that if you wanted to know what I wrote, what this sentence means, you actually have to learn Arabic or like look it up in Arabic and then translate it. So that kind of play with language. But I'm a big advocate for just making language and making information accessible anyway. And so that's where my love for translation and interpretation comes in. And so when I find a poem... Um, when I find a poem that I really love that is written in English about something that is deeply human so like love grief um then sometimes i want to translate that because i think it i want i want to i want other people to be able to connect to it the way that i'm connecting to it the way that i'm having the privilege to sit there and like look at this beautiful piece of writing and feel all of my you know <laughs> all of my deep watery emotions and then I want to share that feeling with other people, which is why I like interpreting or translating so much. Um, so when it comes to translating my own poetry, if I write something in Arabic, it usually just comes from me. In terms of translating an Arabic poem to English, it's just coming from the space of, well, I want to share it with my friends, but they're not going to understand an Arabic poem, so I'll translate it. And, you know, not everything gets translated but that's where the art comes in is like how much can you transfer across how much can you um yeah how much can you transfer across 
Mm -hmm. the cultural um, linguistic and where does uh because i assume you know english and arabic for you it's in on the, in the same level let's say in your head because you learn them parallelly they're both present there since you know for yourself and when you have this urge to create a poem how come you decide in which language like Mm. what's what's the channel like that decides it's going to be originally written in this language because you can express this and this through this so like how do you decide like what's the wage mm. uh how do you wage this i don't decide it decides <laughs> my vein decides my um mood decides i find that when i'm really really very sad i write more in arabic i speak more in arabic my the way i form my english sentences are also they kind of have a arabic drama flair to them um and if i know that the person speaks arabic then i'll probably express some of that sadness through just directly in arabic itself um <laughs> which i think says a lot it's and then oh so there's this there's a sentence that i love which is um you'll know who the person's what the person's language is based on how they speak to children or animals and i'm always speaking to them in arabic i'll go yeah, baby, <laughs> and it always comes out in arabic and so i think um for me yeah it just really depends on my mood but we were talking the first time we met a lot about how um we learn some things in english and then we learn some things in another language mm -hmm. and then that based on what we know it in, that's how we'll think about that certain thing. And so I'm trying to, right now what I'm trying to do is be able to, and I think this is going to be very long, like my lifelong uh, journey with languages is to be able to master both enough to express equally. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of like writing and poetry, the first writing that I ever did was really in Arabic. Um, there was some in English, but I think the best writing that I ever did was in Arabic. Um, and I had like, in school, I was taking college level Arabic writing classes because of how good I was, mm -hmm. uh, how well the teacher thought I could express myself. Um, and then I never, and then I never studied Arabic in college, and so there's like this back and forth of, um, how can I say this? This back and forth between English getting better than Arabic getting better than English getting better mm -hmm. than Arabic getting better. And right now I've been in the states for the last four years, and so I haven't had a lot of my, I haven't had the same connection to Arabs as I used to, mm -hmm. and so it's me. Like reaching out to friends, please bring a book from Kuwait, please bring a book from this place, <laughs> please bring me a book so that I can still engage with the language on an intimate level. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So maybe, uh, maybe now it's a nice time to read one of your poems. Sure. And uh, then we're going to continue with uh, other types of translation you do. Okay, so this poem is titled Ina al-Ahlam, um, which means container of dreams. Um, so I'll read the first stanza in Arabic and then the following stanza will be in English and then like that. 
كنت موضوعة في إناء أحلام لم أملكها أراقب من قريب البخل الذي كان يشتهي شغفي لحياتي ويحاول امتلاك روحي I was placed in a container of dreams I did not own watching closely the greed they craved that craved from a passion for, li- for life trying to, to own my soul غريب الحياة آلاف الأميال في حرب صارعناها في دماغنا فحاربنا بالأسلحة وآتينا بالقنابل وانتشرنا الظلام Strange is life thousands of miles in a war that we wrestled in our minds so we fought with weapons and we came with bombs spread the darkness والآن أمشي على غيوم سماء تنمو بالزهور تنبت الحب الذي احتجتها الذي اشتهيتها And now I walk on clouds of sky, grown with flowers, giving bloom to love that I needed, that I craved. Thank you so much. Um, Sounded beautiful. And um, really listening to you speaking in Arab, it's like different person. I mean, I understand that, uh, you know, uh, changing and uh, you know sometimes even your personality can slightly shift or change when you speak another language and I know that you know sometimes my friends uh, tell tell me that when I speak German I sound very nice um, I think because I'm probably insecure um, comparing to my mother tongue or English but yeah you sounded also like you know the um, I say the the melody of the language, also the voices you produce, it's completely different. And you know, I met you two mm-hmm. times or three mm-hmm. times, so it's mm-hmm. uh, already created certain image and personality. So this is was very refreshing the first time <laughs> to hear you. Thank you so much. Um, so I don't know if you want to say something about the poem. Um, you can definitely. Um, or, you know, if you want to continue, uh, we can also continue with another topic. And um, I also wanted to ask, um, do you have like a book or uh, somewhere we can find your poetry online to read? Because some people might be interested to do so. Um, <laughs> there's so many things I have to say in response. But I think the first thing that I wanted to respond to was that yes I definitely feel different when I speak Arabic but I feel more like myself I think so much of my personality was formed in Arabic around Arabs Um, I often will say among people who I'm close to but also when I'm trying to really get across how I think I'll, I'll call myself an Arab woman at heart um, I'm not Arab by blood, and so this I only have the things that I was born into, right? And I think that that definitely counts because you you can't control. This is the environment that you were formed in, that you became yourself in, and so um, yeah, I definitely feel more like myself when I speak Arabic. This kind of, mm-hmm. um, but even when I'm. Like, and it, it, it translates, Arabic helps me really translate better in terms of all of my emotions. I'm able to really express how I feel about something in ways that I'm not always able to in English. <laughs> Sometimes I have, when I'm trying to um, 
talk to somebody about something difficult, I find myself using my hands a lot more than I would. I mean, Arabic is an expressive language, and so there's a lot of hand movements and hand gestures anyway, but I think I have to physically pull words out in English sometimes too, and I take a lot of time to respond and <laughs> people closest to me say I go to my mountain but it's only because I'm trying to really think about how can I say this in the best way possible and I think that comes from learning from being immersed in so many different languages at the same time so like um how can I say this and and say it the, the way I actually mean it and not the way that it might sound mm-hmm. yeah um, okay, maybe this is nice way to uh, do a transition to uh, another way, another type of translating translation you do. And this is what actually mm-hmm. uh, drew me to contact you uh, because you are mentioning in your website and in your biography that you work as a linguist uh, interpreter. And I was very much interested in this and what in which form you're doing this and um, uh, then you mentioned you work with uh, asylum seekers translating. So maybe you can, s- and also how different is um, to be included in this, that type of translation process in comparison, let's say, when we do art or poetry. Um, yeah, maybe you can say a few things about it. Yeah. So I think the similarities between interpreting for somebody who's seeking asylum in the U.S. and um, translating and interpreting a poem uh, or a beautiful piece of writing is that they are both satisfying, but they are both satisfying and fulfilling in different ways. Um, they both, for me, my 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 reason for doing both is to make uh, is to communicate, to make um, language accessible, to make information accessible. Um, and I think I accomplished that, but one is much harder to do than the other, depending on what I'm translating. Um, I have translated, I have had to translate very uh, strenuous, um, sad documents before which um take a lot out of me emotionally and that's what how it felt to interpret um people who are seeking asylum because you are simultaneously translating their um stories of tragedy uh and sorrow and loss and and why all of the many reasons why they are seeking asylum which is um and, and the U.S. government makes you go through extreme detail in order for you to be eligible to seek asylum. So they're going to make you go through the muck of all of your most horrible experiences without um, having a therapist on hand, without having... And so the person who is talking to you is really sharing very intimate, um, devastating personal experiences with you and you're having to then translate that and then translate the question and then translate the response and translate the question, and translate the response, and it goes on and on. But there's no, I think the difficulty that I've had interpreting for these people is that I can't stop and be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. 
that's terrible. I'm sorry you had to go through that. I just have, I'm only able to interpret on the spot and continue. Because you also, at the same time, you have somebody who's on the other side of the phone who will correct. So like if I said, if I interpreted a sentence wrong or didn't give the exact interpretation, then they'll correct me. Mm. And so you have to make sure that you're staying exactly with what they said. And a lot of what happens for me, and this can happen with like therapists when they have clients, is called transference. So when you transfer your own personal emotions to situations that the client is undergoing. And so I've had a lot of transference for my own interpretation or perception of what they might be feeling hearing a story that I might have or not have experience with. Um, and so I have to keep my own emotions at bay while I'm interpreting, which is difficult because at the end of the day, we're all human. Yeah. Um, I remember when you're saying this and I um, just then started to think about that process and um, where you need literally to mute yourself as a person and just be like a, a converter of this experience where on one side one person is so emotional and um, yeah went through who knows what kind of traumas to come there and on another side it's like a judge uh, that will yeah validate your experience is it enough uh, good to uh, or, or is, is it enough tragic tragic almost mm -hmm. and you are mm -hmm. the one who of course you would be maybe on a you know, different sides or a side of person who is seeking asylum, but you cannot, you need to be like very um, cold in a way of translating. And we compare this to, you know, when of the process translating a poetry, you're creating a new poetry because you're trying to interpret the feelings and to find the new words for this. Yeah. While here it's literally you need to translate um, as correct as possible mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah but that's also something that I've been thinking about in terms of like translating a poem uh, sometimes it goes back to what I said about like understanding some parts of a language better than in Arabic than I do in English and so sometimes when I translate a poem in English the most recent one that I just completed translating actually there are parts of it that once I translated them, I guess for myself, into Arabic, I understood the poem itself better because I had translated it into, I guess, what is um, my cultural feeling of something. And I think I found that very fascinating because I had never really thought of that, of understanding something better once I had translated it for myself than being able to read it through in Arabic and then understand the entire text in English better. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's relevant to mention or, yeah, my question, is it a question? I don't know, actually. You said you worked as a linguist, like, voluntarily? Yes. So um, are you still doing this? Are you still in this process? You said you're also translating documents. Mm -hmm. um, is this the same process or, mm. or within the same field you are doing this? Mm. Uh, and are these, um, what kind of documents are you translating? Mm -hmm. What is the yeah. written there? 
<laughs> so I was I was translating a few different things. So like I've translated, like there was a video of a woman speaking uh, in French and she was talking about this lecture she was going to go to. I think the whole thing was like 15 minutes long. So I translated that. And then there's documents that I translate that are very, very simple, like birth certificates or ID cards, um, divorce documents. Um, yeah, so there's like a lot of different kinds of documents that I've translated, but it's not work that I am doing often now. I can still be involved in it, but it's so time consuming. I find that I'm either going to be translating or I'm going to be making art. And so I've chosen to make art and continue to translate on my own time, the personal, the things that personally are interesting to me. So um, like later I'll read an excerpt of a novel that was written in Arabic <laughs> that I yeah. found so beautiful that I was like, okay, I'll translate it into English. So mm -hmm. I translate for fun now, if that makes sense. Of course, it makes sense. Um, just one more question before we go to the part uh, where you're going to read um, one page of the uh, text in Arabic. Mm. We do it also in English. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, maybe just to one digression. Um, after the episode is aired, uh, we will also have a short version of um, one episode with just uh, Ibtisan reading this text. Um, I just wanted to ask, I don't know we, if we reflected on it, French language. You mm. learned where? How? Ha! Huh. <laughs> so this is funny to me. I think it's funny. So I learned, I I was in French, I had a French class in high school in, um, in the United Arab Emirates. I'll go ahead and say that I lived all over that country. I lived in Dubai, I lived in Abu Dhabi, I lived in Sharjah, I lived in Fujairah. So four different cities out of the seven. Always moving. Um, that's kind of irrelevant. But when I was living in Fujairah in high school, I learned, I didn't learn French, but I had a French class. I was actually a really bad student. Um, well, Actually, no, I was a good student, but I didn't have the best French teacher. And so I wasn't interested in the class. And so then when I moved to India to do my undergrad, uh, I was like, okay, I want to learn Hindi. But I started kind of learning French. So let me finish French. So I went to Alliance Francaise for like two years and I learned French um almost fluently and so like now I can speak French and I can write a little bit of French and I can really read French um like I read whole books that are written just in French and I can understand like a good 75 to 80 percent of the content which I think is important that's that's great relevant enough right? yes I live a uh seven eight years in Germany I still when I read can understand 60 to 70 percent um, which is more than enough I mean for me a language is more about understanding and trying to express the way you feel and you rather than like grammatically being correct as you already noticed yes and the whole podcast is about it um, so yeah um, maybe with this we can also wrap it up if you really want to add something you can 
if you maybe say a bit more about some of your future projects, like uh, uh, a little bit, so that people can uh, who are listening also can get a bit closer to your uh, practice. Um, of course, I'm gonna list all of your contacts and website on the uh, within the episode. Also, your poetry, so people who would like to read it again. They can, but I really like uh, when you read your own poem, you know, so you have also the aspect of your voice and uh, I say the tact or the melody mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. But it's also beauty when someone else can read it with their own mind. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm so polite in this episode. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like I'm just like reflecting how nice I am I'm, because usually I cannot stop speaking. It feels... Uh, I, I in one episode I really felt embarrassed how much I was um, talking or mm-hmm. asking and mm-hmm. in this I'm so nice and I think the people who constantly listen to this will notice <laughs> uh, yes it's Mila here um, yeah anyway um, I'm so happy that you're here so maybe you can say a couple of things about your practice and mm. then we can say goodbye to our listeners Hi listeners, um, basically, uh, so I have a website which I'll share with Mila, but um, my poetry is not published yet and it's actually quite funny because I have, I write so much of it, um, but I haven't, I haven't published it, um, I'm hoping to work more on it this year, I hope to perform more this year. Um, I will have a performance that is put up. I will have actually a couple of performances that will be uploaded to my website um, in May. I'm not going to say this month because it won't happen this month, mm-hmm. but sometime in May and June. And so if you stay tuned for that, I'll be having that uploaded. And I will also start to um, publish my writing once a month uh, come June. And so I hope you... Stay tuned for that. If you have any interest in sending me some of your poetry, I really love creating community and like talking to people. And so if you hear any of this, if you're Arab or you speak English, please reach out and feel free to connect. Thank you so much. It sounds great. And I hope there will be some response to this. Um, so yeah, thank you for listening. Um As always, I will say you can write any of your questions, reflections, feedbacks, uh, suggestions um, to our to my to Broken English Podcast Gmail, uh, which is written in the description of the episode, or to directly to the Instagram account, which is called Broken English Underline Podcast. Uh, so yeah, the saying ciao it's always the same I need to say all these things (laughs) Um, but yeah thank you for listening I hope you enjoyed and uh, be sure to follow in a couple of days um, short episode where Iftisam is just gonna read in Arabic and English thank you for having me thank you bye-bye bye